You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. A gut-wrenching day today for residents of the Sea-Watch subdivision on the Sunshine Coast. An evacuation order due to sinkhole concerns officially forcing residents from their homes. Sarah McDonald was there for us today for the emotional goodbye and explains why homeowners aren't eligible for help from the province. How do you say goodbye when you don't know what lies ahead, save the certainty of an almost unimaginable grieving process? People are leaving all their stuff. People are choosing, do I want to take this thing or that thing? The devastation financially and emotionally for 14 families once settled in this subdivision on the Sunshine Coast so profound. We moved here to retire from Vancouver. It's difficult to put in words. And, um, Due to the geotechnical instability and lack of safety in our community, it's been a nightmare. Under evacuation order is not how Jerry Latham and her husband expected to leave what they once thought would be their final address. You look for a floor plan that you could end your days here. And we knew we could. Though what they did not know is it never should have been built. All of these houses, once valued at over a million dollars, now virtually worthless on the land they're sitting on. At such an extreme risk of giving way, engineers warn the next sinkhole in this neighborhood could be deadly. We know everybody here, and none of I think anyone here would say that none of us have ever lived in a community like that. And it's likely the last time they will ever be together, at least here again. Government officials say that although efforts will be made eventually to allow homeowners back to retrieve their belongings, it's likely nobody will ever live on this unstable ground ever again. It upsets me. It angers me. I can't feel anything other than anger. Exacerbating an already life-altering blow is the lack of accountability. The province refusing disaster relief, claiming residents knew the risk when buying in, something they deny. The district that approved the project maintaining this issue lies largely between its developer and those it's sold to. Somebody is to blame. Who is to blame for this? I don't know. I don't know. And I think that's something that will play out over the next few years. But that's time and resources many here no longer have. What does my future look like now? With some now looking to the legal system to recuperate insurmountable losses, leaving livelihoods and legacies behind a chain link fence. Sarah McDonald, Global News, Seashelt. Now to some late breaking details about a growing health concern. Officials confirming tonight there are now eight cases of measles in Vancouver, all connected to school-aged children. Linda Aylesworth has more on the new infections and why vaccination numbers among students in Vancouver will probably surprise you. The latest measles update revealed at a hastily called news conference at the BC Centre for Disease Control was perhaps not unexpected. We have now identified a total of eight cases in Vancouver, all of which are associated with Ecole Jules Verne. Cases are occurring in staff and staff, students and family members. Measles is, after all, a highly infectious viral disease. The first case was reported in a student here at Ecole Jules Verne just over a week ago. The second case announced on Wednesday involving another student at Rose Devant. Now a third school is potentially involved, Ecole Anne Hibert, but the virus might now have spread farther afield. One of the individuals visited BC Children's Emergency Department while they were infectious. We have been unable to, uh, to notify all people who may have been 
uh, exposed. The measles vaccine is highly effective, and if all schools had a 90% or higher immunization rate, outbreaks likely wouldn't be an issue. But according to Vancouver Coastal Health, the number of Vancouver kindergartens are woefully lacking. Of 127 schools in Vancouver, only 27 have 90% plus immunization rates. That means nearly 80% are not protected against the measles. We know that there are members of our community who are busy and overwhelmed and haven't had a chance to get their children's immunizations up to date. As for those who have made purposeful decisions not to immunize their children? I think in moments like this, it's a great opportunity to revisit the reasons you made that decision. It is, um, I think, the responsibility of people to ensure that their children are vaccinated. The facilities are there to do that. And we need to encourage everyone to do that. And if, and if there's not enough... But how do you encourage parents to do so? And whose responsibility is it? One parent whose child goes to one of the affected schools has an idea. The minister has to make sure that the parents have the right information. And if the, the people like the what we call the anti-vaxxers, if they yell, well, we have to yell loud, louder, I think. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. And this is very important because BC's measles control guidelines state that students and staff at Jules Verne and Rose Devon who are not immunized may not attend school until the period of transmission has passed. You can check the guidelines if you need more information. Also, if you visited Children's Hospital Emergency on January 21st, 23rd, 24th or February 1st, you may have been exposed and you're advised to speak with your doctor We've got much more information on this outbreak on our website at globalnews.ca slash bc. The mayor's council taking on a couple of big issues today, including a vote on TransLink's proposal to support ride-hailing in Metro Vancouver. TransLink wants to ensure ride-sharing services provide the unique customer experience they are known for, that their affordable fare structure remains intact, and that the services help minimize congestion and increase universal accessibility. In the end, only Surrey Mayor Doug McCallum did not support the motion. We're pushing the province to make sure uh, we still have power at the city level to regulate this. So uh, that's a bit of the discussion we're having is that it shouldn't be all provincial. We should still have some regulator, uh, regulatory ability at the city level. So we've sent a, a letter to the province for, uh, you know, in support of ride hailing, uh, guided by what citizens want. Now, the Translink Mayor's Council also voting yes today on SkyTrain extension to UBC. While only two mayors voted against the plan, there are concerns about the cost and what it would mean for other transportation projects. Richard Zussman reports. It could be one of the most expensive transit projects ever built in British Columbia. The SkyTrain line from Arbutus to UBC carrying a big price tag. The portion from Arbutus to UBC has been set around three to four billion dollars. The TransLink Mayor's Council giving the project's first step the green light on Friday and providing $3 million for planning. This needed to pass today for this to move ahead. And if it, if it was voted down, then SkyTrain was dead. The province hasn't committed any money to get the Broadway subway line from Arbutus to UBC. The feds don't have any money on the table either. But there is optimism funds could come from some unique places. UBC has said they would be kicking in money. Uh, Musqueam First Nation is very interested in that, as is uh, the Jericho Lands developers. There are also major concerns from around the region about more money going to Vancouver. 
Let's take a look at what three to four billion dollars can get the mayors. The now cancelled Massey Bridge would have cost 3.5 billion dollars, the now built Port Man cost 3.3 billion dollars, and the new Patello Bridge is forecast at 1.4 billion dollars. The biggest concern is on the North Shore, where SkyTrain isn't coming anytime soon. We have other areas in the region that don't have any access to rapid services um, at all. At the end of the day, a lot of the smaller municipalities in the region just needs bu buses on the ground. The funding's already in place for SkyTrain along Broadway to Arbutus. If it does ever go to UBC, that wouldn't be until the mid-2020s. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. After several waves of snowfall, the flakes have turned to rain thanks to a warm-up in temperatures. And while the big melt is on, it's not without concern for city crews. Paul Johnson explains the challenges and the good times still being had at higher elevations. If driving in this weather's been getting you down, it's worth remembering there's more than one way to get around. We're having a good time. We're having a good time. It's a pro D-Day from school. <laughs> The North Shore Mountains Friday were still the land of ice and snow, packed with families enjoying a day off from school, making the coming long weekend feel even sweeter. Are you having fun? Yeah, no. way fun. No. Yeah. Come up here and enjoy the snow up here. It's beautiful. Down in Stanley Park, the phase change was unmistakable. Where a couple of days ago the seawall was icy and dangerous, now the concern is flooding from the combination of rain and snowmelt. We've had crews working around the clock for the last week. Over at City Hall, they're saying the street crews will be on alert for at least the next few days as they work on clearing side streets and keep an eye on drainage basins. And if you thought promptly shoveling off your walks is the good citizen thing to do, we're sad to tell you that is so 2017. Anyone that wants a fun way to contribute to their community can uh, join the Adopt a Catch Basin program and they can get more information on that by calling 311 or going to vancouver.ca. Region-wide, planners will continue to salt streets and be prepared for the prospect of more snow if it comes and the possibility that freezing temperatures could continue to make driving dangerous. So expect a tough slog ahead for the next few days, unless you're a kid with an <laughs> Paul Johnson, Global News. Now that looks like a ton of fun. So not weather related, but not something you see every day. Yesterday morning, a mother ran out of gas with her two kids in the car. As if that wasn't bad enough, roadside assistance was a two-hour wait, and of course, temperatures were quite chilly. Thankfully, two officers with the Ridge Meadows RCMP jumped into action, along with a couple of good Samaritans, and they pushed the truck to a safer location. One of the officers then drove to a nearby convenience store to purchase a jerry can, then on to the gas station to buy fuel to get the family back on its way. Well done, officers. Nice. Wow. The new St. Paul's Hospital gets the green light today from the B.C. government. It will cost just shy of $2 billion and is expected to be open for patients by 2026. Nadia Stewart has more on the plan and what's expected to happen with the old facility. Nadia. Sophie, soon it will be up for sale. The land this current facility sits on will be sold. All of the money 
going towards the new building project. It's taken a long time to get to this day. There were announcements in 03 and 04 and 07, in 09, in 11, in 12, in 15 and 16. But Health Minister Adrian Dix says none of those liberal government announcements came with money attached. The former government committed to redeveloping the hospital in 2012. A detailed business plan was supposed to be ready by 2014. I'm proud to stand here today before you all and say that the wait is over. The uh, approval of the business plan has happened. It would be great to have increased space. The new hospital should be ready by 2026 and will cost about $1.9 billion, up from an original estimate of $1.2 billion and a 2022 completion date. The Jimmy Patterson Group has already donated $75 million and the province will use money from the sale of the old site to help cover the cost. It really comes down to uh, what are we getting for taxpayer dollars. Liberal health critic Norm Letnick says there are still questions that need to be asked of the minister. The number of beds, uh, when we proposed it, it was uh, in the business plan it was 700 beds. It's gone down to 548 beds. More expensive, fewer beds. Still, Letnick agrees this announcement and the move to Station Street is good news for Vancouver and B.C. This current facility is more than 100 years old, and the staff working here in one of Canada's busiest hospitals somehow manages to get the job done here every day. The work they do will continue and expand as they move into that new facility. Back to you, Sophie. Nadia Stewart reporting at St. Paul's. The old St. Paul's. Thanks, Nadia. The source of the chaos, confusion, and heavy police presence across the Okanagan yesterday is finally coming into focus tonight. Police say what began as a robbery ended with a number of arrests for kidnapping and other charges. Global's Kelly Hayes reports. A smashed window to the back door of a Bernard Avenue apartment building. Upstairs, a busted door to a second floor unit. The remnants of what happened here Thursday when police swarmed the area, leaving some in the complex wondering what was going on. So I don't think I can get out. I said there's, they're all military trucks here and young men dressed in military garb and they're all holding great big rifles. RCP say the whole thing started here in Kamloops earlier in the day where, according to police, two men and a woman were robbed in the downtown area by two men with guns. The woman was taken hostage. Police believe she was being held in a house in Kamloops, but when they arrived, the place had been ransacked and there was no sign of the suspects or the victim. The victim's stolen vehicle was later located empty in an area near Barnhardvale Road and Highway 97. Further investigation led us to an address in Kelowna. Unfortunately, the victim was not located at this address, but one of the robbery suspects was. So the search was on for the woman who was kidnapped and the kidnappers. And police had information that they may be heading from Kelowna to Kamloops. This vehicle was stopped by police near Falkland. Officers arrested a male and a female suspect and located the kidnapped female. Police say the woman who was kidnapped was not injured and that they found guns in the car. To add more confusion to the story, they say the two suspects arrested in the car at Falkland were not involved in the robbery in Kamloops. So there may be a total of four suspects in this case and one of them may still be at large. Police say it's clear this was a targeted attack and all of those involved are linked to the Kamloops drug trade. Kelly Hayes, Global News, Kelowna. Another deadly workplace shooting in the U.S., this time at a suburban Chicago manufacturing company. Six people, including the gunman, are dead. 
Five police officers are injured. Police say the shooter was 45-year-old Gary Martin, believed to have been an employee. No word at this point on the motive. Donald Trump confirming today he's declaring a national emergency to build his wall along the border with Mexico, allowing him to bypass Congress to get the funding. Trump insisting the border is in crisis, but also undercutting his own argument that he had no choice. It's an invasion. We have an invasion of drugs and criminals coming into our country. I didn't need to do this, but I'd rather do it much faster. The House Judiciary Committee is already calling for a hearing on the declaration, and the American Civil Liberties Union is filing what's expected to be the first of many lawsuits challenging Trump's move. A tragic turn of events in the Amber Alert for a young girl in Ontario. The 11-year-old found dead just hours after she went missing. Her father will be charged with her murder. We are going forward, we are proceeding with a first-degree murder charge. Rio Rajkumar was found dead in her father's Brampton home late last night. She'd been the subject of an intense search after her mother told police her father didn't bring her home as required and that he had made some threats against the child and himself. The tragedy has left investigators, the community and the fifth graders family shaken, compounded by the fact that Thursday was Rhea's birthday. Obviously, this is very traumatic. Um, it is her daughter. They did. We're celebrating a joint birthday, so that's very. It's a, her birthday. It was both their birthdays. It's very heart wrenching, and and I think that's what I. We have to remember that this is a family, and she's now moving forward without her daughter. Police caught up with the father, 41-year-old Rupesh Rajkumar, in his vehicle several kilometers away from his home after tips from the public. He's currently in hospital for injuries he had sustained before police caught up with him. Now that Amber Alert has sparked a new controversy over the system itself. Some people complaining about when and how they got the alert. Others blasting the people who are complaining. It's the sound of an emergency notification, in this case, an Amber Alert. Loud enough to wake you up if you're sleeping with the phone on. It's designed to get your attention, possibly help save a life. When Peel Police went searching for 11-year-old Rhea Rajkumar, later found dead, Ontario Provincial Police triggered the system. It does disrupt people's, you know, lifestyles if they're at home or if it wakes them up because it can go off on the cell phones and everything. So I understand that. But many didn't understand, taking to Twitter in frustration. Why am I being awakened by an Amber Alert? Not cool, Peel Police. Why didn't Peel Police check the father's house before issuing the Amber Alert? Stop sending me alerts long after the incident. How far is Peel from Ottawa? Asked another. Police were bombarded with calls to their 911 system complaining, with more calls on non-emergency numbers. Your phone has the power to save a life. Amber Alerts are distributed under what's called the National Alert Aggregation and Dissemination System, mandated by the federal government last year. If your phone is on and the volume is up, you'll hear the alert and get a message. If the phone is on silent, you'll get the message, but likely not the sound. If the phone is off, you'll get neither. In response to complaints, a backlash from others. Anyone who called 911 to complain should be publicly named and shamed, said one. What is wrong with people? Suppose it was their child. Police were hard-pressed to understand why so many would be angered at being alerted. We're talking about a child that was missing, and in this case, the child was found deceased. So I think... You have to weigh that out. Given the circumstances, I think it did lead to the arrest of the individual. 
Sean O'Shea, Global News, Toronto. Now, a surprising twist in the controversy dogging Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and his handling of the SNC-Lavalin scandal. Trudeau now admits former Attorney General Jody Wilson-Raybould asked him in the fall if he planned to tell her what to do in the prosecution of the Quebec engineering giant. Trudeau says that was when he told her that any decision was hers alone. He also says Wilson-Raybould would still be in her old post if a cabinet shuffle hadn't been necessary. I can tell you the reason um, we move forward uh, with the cabinet shuffle. Uh, One of the senior members of our team stepped down and we had to move things around on the team. If Scott Bryson had not stepped down from cabinet, Jody Wilson-Raybould would still be Minister of Justice and Attorney General. Trudeau still denying suggestions that Wilson-Raybould was shuffled out of the Attorney General portfolio because she refused the Prime Minister's office request to intervene in the SNC-Lavalin case. I, Jody Wilson-Raybould. Several Canadians, many on humanitarian missions, are living a travel nightmare in Haiti. They're trapped in the strife-torn country with no easy way to get home and so far, not much help from their own government. This is the last thing Catherine O'Neill expected to see while working in Haiti. We need help. She's a Montreal nurse who is volunteering in the country, providing medical aid. Seven others from Nova Scotia and Ontario are there with her, working with an Ontario-based charity. O'Neill was scheduled to return to Montreal two days ago, but she and the others couldn't get to the airport. So they have roadblocks in in place. Uh, They are burning tires at some of those barricades. Uh, People have been killed. Just over a week ago, protesters began demanding the resignation of President Jovenel Moïse. They're angry about ballooning inflation and blame the government for failure to prosecute those suspected of corruption. Friday morning, Global Affairs Canada recommended Canadians avoid all travel to the country. The Canadian embassy in Port-au-Prince closed because of the unrest, and Global Affairs is advising Canadians not to travel within the country either. They just kind of instructed my, my mother uh, to stay where she is, where it's currently safe. O'Neill fears things will only get worse. If the cell towers run out of fuel, we will have no communication. Fuel and other supplies are running low, and they are rationing their food. Her family in Montreal fears for her safety. Yeah, that's that's my main concern is making sure that she gets she gets home safe. O'Neill and her group are trying to find their own way. They've booked a flight that leaves Haiti on Monday, so they're trying to rent a helicopter to take them to the airport, past the burning barricades. If they can find one, they can afford. Phil Carpenter, Global News, Montreal. California continues to suffer from torrential winter rains and flooding. That home in the Southern California community of Lake Elsinore left hanging after a retaining wall collapsed. Other neighbors are worried about their own homes and can do nothing but watch and hope for the best. In Northern California, traffic crawls along a flooded interstate. While residents of the city of Novato hope their flood basin is able to handle the runoff from this breach in a levee. The storm has trapped people in floodwaters, caused mudslides that destroyed homes, and forced residents to flee communities scorched by wildfires last year. And a police dash cam captures the moment an SUV slams into a rock slide, goes airborne, and lands right on the police cruiser. It happened in Bristol, Tennessee, as the first officers arrived at the slide. 
One officer was treated for minor injuries. The driver of the SUV refused medical treatment. It's not clear why they didn't even appear to slow down or swerve. An unlikely and heartwarming friendship in Australia, born out of necessity. They both needed each other, I think, so it was, um, you know, it's been a fantastic relationship. Molly the Beagle had just lost her litter of puppies when she found a baby possum that had been abandoned by its mother. Since then, the two have been inseparable with the possum, usually on Molly's back. Now, possums are nocturnal, so when the baby crawls up a tree to sleep, Molly waits underneath for her to wake up. That is pretty cute. In Health Matters tonight, Health Canada is warning consumers about an unauthorized eyewash seized from a retail store in Richmond. Health Canada says the product, Kobayashi Ibon Eyewash, contains the drug aminocaproic acid, which should only be used with a prescription and under doctor's orders. The drug could cause serious side effects. Health Canada seized two of the products from Tokyo Beauty and Healthcare location in Richmond. The product is also labeled in Japanese, meaning some consumers might not understand exactly what's in it. Anyone who has the product should stop using it and consult their doctor if they have any concerns. Well, how do you get a moose out of your house? One Utah couple's solution and what was left behind right after the <laughs> forecast. It's almost like he's, he's like, don't look at me. Don't look at me. That is a mystery we will solve in a moment. Also, the big melt is on right now. Yvonne's in for Christy with a look at the weather forecast heading into the long weekend. Yvonne? Yeah, so we saw that snow change over to rain uh, closer to the midnight hour for Metro Vancouver, but we still did see a range between 5 and up to 10 centimeters across the island, and now we're seeing the rain easing off right across the south coast, especially for Metro Vancouver. It's drier to the airport. Temperatures are sitting at 3, a northeasterly wind at 13 kilometers per hour. I wanted to show you a few numbers uh, for the month of February so far, the average out of the airport snowfall sits at six. We've already seen 31.2 centimeters, but not quite record breaking. A record would be 66 centimeters. And that was set back in 1949. Average days with snow at two and out of the airport, we've seen eight, but we've had some record breaking snow for the month of February. For Victoria, an old record of 44.5 set back in 1949. We've exceeded it now with 68.3 centimeters so far for the month of February. Here's a glance at the satellite. We've seen some instability still across the western sections of the island. The island will still see a chance of showers and rainfall overnight and leading in towards the morning hours. And here's a snapshot for your Saturday morning. So it does start to clear out. And across the island, it'll be late afternoon and evening. Interior sections, though, if you're still heading along the mountain passes, we have snow this evening and leading in towards your Saturday morning. The Coquihalla, two and up to four centimeters. The Rogers and Kootenai Pass with up to five centimeters. The northern half of the province, minus two tomorrow with some sunshine. Light snowfall for the northeastern corners with the peace getting up to minus 17. Central half of the province, interior sections with a mix of sun and cloud. Still a few flurries for the southern interior and then much drier late in the day for tomorrow. And we're still seeing a chance of showers across the island and then a clearing towards the evening hours. A great start to our long weekend. We'll see the return for some sunshine. It'll be chilly for both Sunday, Monday. And a heads up late in the day on our Monday we could see the next round of snow. A quick glance at our weather window for this evening. This was a fantastic shot sent in from Michael. The sunrise that we saw yesterday in Port Coquitlam. Guys? All right. Thank you very much, Yvonne. Beautiful colors there. Sure is. 
Well, a Utah couple heard a crash in their basement and were astounded to see this when they rushed downstairs. Somehow, a full-grown moose had fallen through a window well, obviously a very large one, and ended up in their basement. So they decided to bang on other windows and walls to startle the moose, and it worked. The animal made its way out through the garage door. It got a few superficial cuts from the broken window, left behind a little bit of hmm. blood, but That's too bad. other than that, it seems to be okay. I would have just moved out. <laughs> Let the moose have your place. <laughs> right. yeah, you it's all it. yours now. Oh. It's okay. Yeah. Your house now, Bullwinkle. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Squire. How are you? Good. I'm feeling very good, thank you. Coming around. You're coming, coming around. around. Oh, yeah. I'm feeling much better. I don't like your two chances <laughs> next week because oh, excellent. The germs probably blew that way. But uh, anyway. All right. Uh, some excitement yes. among the Whitecaps well, faithful. Well, I think this is a good move. I yeah. like this move. Freddie with 1D. Freddie with 1D. That's mm -hmm. correct. Uh, just like the rock band Queen... The Whitecaps' dynamic frontman this year will be named Freddie. As we talked about a couple of days ago, Freddie Montero now officially back in Vancouver after spending last year and part of this year with uh, Lisbon in Portugal, where he wasn't scoring like he was during his MLS career. And with a new offensive style that is more about moving the ball towards the goal on the ground rather than crosses from the wing, Montero could be even more dangerous. <laughs> In an off-season of incredible change, Whitecaps fans will get some comfort from an old familiar face. Striker Freddie Montero, who led the Caps with 15 goals in 39 matches back in 2017, has been welcomed back to the club and once again will be counted on to provide the offense. Freddie is a player that connects with the team. He's smart. He knows how to get in the good areas. Um, he finishes well. Um, he has experience, he knows the league, so again, all, all those were characteristics that we felt were right for us. Montero, who's now 31, has been very consistent during his five MLS seasons, averaging a dozen goals per year. In a season where the Whitecaps don't quite know what to expect from a slew of newcomers, Montero at least is a proven commodity. Every player that we had the opportunity to bring that know the league, could bring quality. Uh, in the case of Freddie, knows the club, knows the city, um, doesn't count as a foreigner for us. It just made sense in every aspect of, uh, of the player to bring him here. Montero has agreed to a two-year contract, and since he has his U.S. green card, it means he won't occupy an international spot, which also helps the Whitecaps long-term. He's a veteran who can offer stability and a calm demeanor in the locker room, something the Whitecaps could use after fractured relationships amongst players led to a season of turmoil. The Caps kick off their ninth MLS season in just two weeks. Very delay Global Sports. One comes back, one leaves. Manny Arsenault, no longer a BC Lion, signed a one-year free agent contract with Saskatchewan today. He spent eight years with the Lions, wasn't able to finish last season because of a knee injury. 55 touchdowns during his time in BC, was twice a CFL All-Star, but this is a whole different Lions team, and a lot of familiar faces are going or going to be gone. Last night, the Canucks had to use rookie defenseman Guillaume Brisebois against LA. He ended up a minus two playing just over nine minutes. Today they called up veteran defenseman Luke Shen. They acquired him.
from Anaheim in the Michael Delzotto trade. Played uh, five games, make that seven games in Utica, had five points. Getting back to last night's 4-3 shootout win in L.A., Pedersen and Besser were the big reasons they won, but another was Adam Gaudet. I want to show you two Gaudet plays. This pass here to Besser. A lot of young players might have taken the shot. He saw Besser was open, gave it to the better sniper. But Gaudet would score himself when the Canucks were down 3-2 with the goalie out and needing to tie it. Him and Pedersen are right there. Pucks loose, Gaudet scores. That's good work from the Hobie Baker winner. Devin Dubnik in goal for the Wild. Canucks are hoping for a Devils win here, but Brad Hunt on the power play. Minnesota up 1-0. Then goaltender Kevin Kincaid makes a huge error. No, 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 no! Ow! Jonathan Erickson Eck. What the Eck scores there. 3-1 second period, Minnesota. Oh, I want to show you this. Speaking of weird goals, Buffalo Rangers tonight. Linus Olmark behind the net. Right in front. Easy one for Nemestikov. Off the pad. Took a weird bounce there. Really not his fault, but that's still... Good thing he's got the mask. He's got a real red face. Uh, 6-2 New York wins. Tiger Woods warming up in L.A. at the Genesis. It was sunny for a while, and then it got downright ugly. Tigers at minus one. They are trying to get two rounds, and they, at least they tried to get two rounds, and they couldn't. One of the reasons was that ugly weather slowed things down. This is uh, Justin Thomas. He's the co-leader right now with Adam Scott at minus 10, but they still have seven holes left to play in the second round. So does Tiger. Uh, J.B. Holmes, only one back in the lead. This is on the uh, sixth. He's minus nine with nine holes to go in the second round. I'm showing you this because of this. Oh, look at this. Ace. Adam Hadwin minus three after his first round. Nick Taylor minus one after his first round. To tennis, Denis Shapovalov in the Netherlands against Stan Wawrinka quarterfinals at a tournament in Rotterdam. Varinka won the first set, Shapovalov down 4-1 in the second. Good backhand volley at the net. Evens the set at 5-5. Oh, very nice. Even Warinka applauds that. But, despite what you saw there, Shapovalov would not win. Six four seven six. Warinka defeats Shaffle. There you go. All right. Thanks, Squire. You're welcome. Here's a look at your snow report for today. Six new centimeters for Whistler Blackcomb, 18 for Grouse, Cypress with 15 new centimeters, and eight for Sasquatch. Revelstoke with six new centimeters, four for Manning Park, and Whitewater, three. Big White with seven new centimeters, two for Silver Star, and nine for Sun Peaks. Two new centimeters for Kicking Horse, Mount Washington with nine new centimeters. Powder King with one and a base of 258. Um, so Westminster Kennel Club, they had the best in show thing, but they also had an agility contest, which is kind of like what you see every year at the P&E with the super dogs. Anyway, I'm going to show you this dog named Gabby, but it's a papillon, not a butterfly, <laughs> Cute little not a movie, uh, but I looked up its temperament. And you know what? I think this temperament describes all four of us. It's hearty, energetic, alert, intelligent, friendly, and happy. Aww. Oh, it ticked all the boxes. We're all papillons. We really ticked all the boxes. 
Oh, I've seen you pretty alert. <laughs> okay, here we go. Winning run in the eight-inch barrier category. There's Gabby right there. And this thing's got speed. And go. Look at this dog walk. Whoa, what speed on that dog walk. You know who else has speed? Well, yeah, the handler. The handler, yeah. Oh, that's that tunnel cam. You can't beat the tunnel cam. There we go. Kind of taking a wide way around on some of these, too. There we go. Whoa. Other way. She even took a detour. Gabby's got some energy. Gabby's got, like, wait till she gets to the weaving bit here. This is where it gets serious in a second. And weaves. Whoa. Wow. Now that's a super dog. Almost four wow. seconds fast. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, look at that. No falls. No falls. <laughs> Push, Gabby? Yeah. That was kind of like a friend. <laughs> like a <laughs> high five. Okay, so we have some ads to show you. Uh, one is from Disney, and one's from, I think, kayak.com. to make your dreams come true in ways you've never imagined. Come live your dream during the year of a million dreams going on right now at the place where dreams come true. Okay, let's see what we got here. This is completely unethical. My hours are unethical. I don't have time to sit around searching tons of travel sites looking for flights and hotels. Just use Kayak. It compares hundreds of travel sites in seconds. Well, I guess you're the brains of this operation. Compare hundreds of travel sites at once. Kayak. Search one and done. <laughs> the sound is right. terrible. All like right. Cutting into a watermelon or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a cantaloupe yeah. or something. Okay, so the last two, uh, the first one's a commercial for pet insurance, and the one after that is one of my favorite commercials I've seen in a long time. Mm -hmm. So here we go. You can't always tell why your pet's got the blues. That's why more than pet insurance comes with Vet Phone, a 24-hour pet advice line. Man, that cat can play. More than we do more. Geico makes it easy to get help when you need it. With licensed agents available 24-7. It's not just easy. It's having a walrus and gold easy. Good job, Duncan! Way to go! It's not just easy, it's Geico easy. Oh, Duncan, stay up. No sleepies. Sleepies, <laughs> Duncan. Uh, I love the player's reaction. It's a walrus. Ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. He's got the pads up I mean, against him no in the stick. I specific rule against walruses. And, right? I, 
I Maybe bet you if you went to the NHL rule book, I don't know if it says must be a human goalie. I don't know. No yeah. diss on Markstrom, but he's almost that big. He is almost that big. <laughs> That's true. He's a little more agile than the Walrus. Right. But then again, the Walrus doesn't need to be agile. He That's covers the whole net. Yeah. Out there. Just sits there. Okay, what's coming on this family day long weekend before we go? The return for some sunshine. It'll be chillier there, especially Sunday, Monday. And then late in the day on Monday, we could see the return for snow. But enjoy the next couple of days. All right. Thanks, Yvonne. Thanks for watching. Have a great long weekend. Happy Family Day, everyone.